Good morning, everybody. Today we'll be learning Daf Chaf in Maseches Chagiga. And we start on Daf Yotesamid Bey's second line up from the top. Amar of Murray, he learns an inference from our Mishnah. Andrew, you were in Minneapolis and we changed gears hard, went into the world of Tuma and Tara. Um, I never did say yesterday why we, why we switch it to Tumantara. First of all, the, um, there, it was deliberate that we're going to hopefully finish the second parak today. And that was deliberate. They didn't want the entire uh, second parak to finish on the Mice and Markava for a specific reason. It's not for now. Um, but it is funny or interesting. The Mice and Markava, we go for the most esoteric things to the most, well, I don't know that you could call Tumantara mundane, but in the days, right, of the Mikdash, may they be renewed soon, Tumantara was all the rage, right? That you had to be, forget about kosher. Kosher is, is uh, small potatoes, as we've discussed. To be careful about Tumantara, that's not just clothes, that's not just food, gentlemen. Clothing, as we will see today, in a few lines from now, if you took your mind off, if you wanted to live your life in a state of Kedusha, Okay, then in, in a state of tahara, then you have to be concerned about, do you have intent? Do you have your clothes under surveillance? Your very clothing, your food, everything that you had hesach hadas from, right? Which we're going to see is, is, the, is the topic over here of the beginning of our Gemara. Anything that you don't have full intent, you actually have to assume became tame. You can't. You can't take for granted that if you didn't keep it in mind, you can't take for granted that it stayed in a state of purity. So I was just thinking sort of homiletically that, and I think this we did mention yesterday, that as much as right, we talk about mice and markava at the end of the day, right, none of it means anything unless you can keep yourself pure. right? We have a emphasis in Yiddishkeit on keeping ourselves pure, tzur meirav esetov, and on action, right? on actually um, technical action to keep the purity um, on the ground, as a, right, in addition to keep our head in the sky as we were doing um, with, with the Maisa Merkava, which is why we're calling it like a major shift. We went for the word, world of Kabbalah and Nistar, and now to the Niglet. So on the second to last line, New Testament Bays, we talked like this. Our Gemara was talking about this, that Amar of Marish, What does this mean? Let's see the last Rashi in your Testament base. Adam Aragi Lechel Kachim, Mikabal Alav Lechel Chulav Betaras Akodesh, Kadeshiub Nebes was here in Ubikinu Betaras Akodesh. Okay. So this is a person who is taking upon himself, right, as we've already discussed, when you're eating Chulin, Right, you're allowed, you don't have to have the Tara Sakodesh. We just talked about all the different ways that you purify yourself. When you're eating Chulin, you don't have to have that level of purity. However, there are, there were those who always kept an extremely high level of purity and they would keep everything but Tara Sakodesh even when they ate Chulin. And the question is, as Rashi explains, does that make their food take on the status of Kodesh? That's what it says. Right, right? That's what our Gemara says. They were prepared with the standard of Kodesh, Kekodesh Damu. They themselves become, right? That they themselves become Kodesh. Okay. 
they're treated like full-fledged Kodesh. Mimai. What would make them think that as we arrive at Chafam Ralf? Since the Mishnah didn't teach, our Mishnah doesn't teach a separate level for what? For Chulin that were treated like Kodesh. That's the point. In other words, just to say it outside, what it's trying to explain is that had we, right, understood that the, had we treated Chulin like Kodesh, there would be a separate level. There would be Kodesh, Chulin, and Chulin that's treated like Kodesh. Because certainly, Chulin that's treated like Kodesh is, should be more Kodesh than regular Chulin. But you, it, it's surprising that it is not only treated more than regular Chulin, but since we see no gradations in between Chulin and Kodesh, it must be that it's treated in fact like Kodesh itself, like full-fledged Kodesh itself. Where do we see that in the Mishnah, right? Because it's on Chesam and Beis. We have the, we have the Mishnah where it says, Big day hama aretz, uh, right? Medris la prushin. Big day prushin, medris la ochle truma. Remember? So, and then we said, uh, at the end of the Mishnah, big day kodesh medris la chatas, yosef ben yosef, chasas shibikuna, vaitamit pachto, medris la kodesh. Yochan ben gudgada, right? I'm reading now the end of the Mishnah, which we're going to be quoting in our Gemara in a second. He was like, yochal taras a kodesh koyamov, vaitamit pachto, medris la chatas. So what's going on at the end of, of this Mishnah? That, yeah. Even their clothing, right? In, in the case of Yosef ben Yo'ezer, his cloth napkin was considered Tomei Medris for those who ate Kodesh, even though he kept it very, very, right, Kodesh, right? And he was a Nasi, and he avoided Tuma together, but he ate Truma, that's the point. He always ate Truma, and so therefore, when he wiped his hands, he had his, right, his hanky, Right in his ba- in his breast pocket, so that was considered tumas medris it, for those who would eat kodesh. Right, but right Yochanan ben Gudgada was so incredibly tahor that even his right hanky his mitpachat right was was not tumas medris for kodesh. It was tumas medris for the mechatas. Now that the mechatas is the highest level that you'll ever see in your life. Right, that's for the paraduma. But, right, this is an incredible idea that he was on such a high level of sanctity and he kept himself Kaddish so, so meticulously that his napkin was in fact able to be used for, was not, was not considered too much medris for Kodesh, and therefore everything he touched had a status of Kodesh. So even his chulin had an actual status of Kodesh. The closest thing I saw in my own lifetime, I may have mentioned this. Um, did I tell you Rav Chaim Pinchas Scheinberg's Zetzal was a sandak for my son Nachi, who's now in 11th grade in Yisrael. He came to Ramat Beit Shemesh. I don't know, to the best of my knowledge, it was the only time he was ever in Ramat Beit Shemesh to be the sandak at the bris because we had shaykhs to him. And after the bris, his son Rav Simcha said, bring, um, let's take, can we take some, some uh, bagels to go? We had bagels. We didn't know then that Israeli Haredi do fleshik at not at seven in the morning for the Sudas bris. That was like uh, we had we hadn't been there long enough to realize that. So we had bagels and shmir. Anyway, so he takes bagels and shmir to go. I said, but of course you could take. But can I? I was curious. What are you? Uh, what are you playing at? Like why? Why are you taking these bagels to go? Are you going on a trip or something? And he says. For a really long time already, like almost as long as I can remember, my father, this is Rav Simcha Scheinberg, speaking of his father, has 
all of his nutrition has only been consumed from Suda's mitzvah. <laughs> Isn't that incredible? He, because he could afford to do so. He was invited to so many simchas that every, everything he ever ate, for as long as he can remember, for starting a certain point in his life, um, was only Suda's mitzvah. Incredible, incredible. Uh, so that, that I can't help but be reminded, right? We're talking about pious people who everything that they touched, even though they did not have to eat in a state of Kedusha, was in a state of Kedusha, so much so that everything had like a mitzvah, right? The idea of being makdish l'chol. Okay. So now the Gemara asks, okay. So again, we brought a raya that, that those people who treat all their chulun kekodesh, their stuff takes on the actual status of kodesh. But the Gemara says, "Vidilma hai lo ktani b'maila, diidam l'truma hai tani truma, biidam l'chulun hai tani l'chulun." What the what the Gemara is asking now is, wait a minute. Levels are mentioned in our Mishnah. Our Mishnah does mention something between chulun and kodesh, the hainu, which is truma, right? Because we know that truma. Is, is, a, is a level higher than chulin and below Kodesh. So maybe that is what the chulin that are treated Kikodesh are actually going to be equated with. They'll be equated with Truma. Okay, right? In other words, if they're similar to Truma, the Mishnah is taught Truma. And if they're similar to chulin, we already learned chulin. So in other words, there are chulin, Truma, and Kodesh. All three levels are mentioned in the Mishnah. And so how do we know, right? There's no indication in our Mishnah at this point in the Gemara, that would indicate that when you treat the Chulin like Kodesh, that they actually take on the status of Kodesh, right? Uh, they could be taking on the status of any one of those levels, either Kodesh or maybe Truma, or maybe they remain Chulin. The Tanan, because we learned in our in, in a Mishnah, this is a Mishnah to Horos, Chulin Shinasu Ataris HaKodesh Chulin, right? So we actually, we hit the ball, right? We're talking about what happens to Chulin that are treated like Kodesh, but there's a fact, the Mishnah Tahoris, that discusses that very topic. And so one top, one um, shita is that the chulin that are treated like Kodesh actually have the status of chulin. And Rabbi Lazar Harain Ketruma. Rabbi Lazar says that they take on the level of truma, um, which is to say that they're treated more Kodesh than chulin themselves, but they don't become Kodesh. They are, in fact, stayed at a level of truma. Okay, so that is... Uh, def- directly connected what we were saying. However, it's not what our Mishnah said, because look, Elam is Seifa. Look at the end of our Mishnah, which I took the trouble and the time, as Andrew pointed out, to already read to you, which is, Yosef ben Yoezer, Hayachasit Shibit Kahuna, Vahayasim Mitzvah Tomedish Lakodesh. We said that Yosef ben Yoezer, his Mitzvah was, was Tomas Medish for Kodesh. However, Yochanan ben Gudidai, Ochel Ataras Kodesh called Yamav, he was at the, right, he was the, of that generation in terms of eating only from Kataras Kodesh his whole life. Yeah, for the Mechatas, it was considered Thomas Medras. But for Kodesh, even the Chulun that he ate was considered Kodesh. So, you know, how you reconcile that with the Mishnah in Tahoros is a different thing. But certainly our Mishnah, by quoting Right, these practice of Yochanan ben Gedah is saying that he kept it so Kodesh that there was no Tumas Medris for Kodesh with his Chulin. And therefore, our Mishnah certainly does imply that Chulin that are treated Kodesh uh, attain a status of Kodesh. Okay, so that was Tumantara, that if you eat the Chulin food in the state of Kodesh, they, stay, they, they actually 
retain their state of Tahara. But now we're going to talk 12 lines down from the top about this topic of Hesachadas as follows. Amar Rebionason ben Elazar. Nafla mafarato heimenu. Let's say <clears throat> you had a shawl, a talus that fell from him. Remember, even the begadim, right, become their kalim. They become tame. So let's say you're, you, 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 you lose your shirt. Well, not you lose your shirt. That, that has a different connotation. You, your shawl falls. Amar lechavero tnali. And he says to, to a regular guy that he sees, hey, can, I, do you, can, I, uh, can you hand me my shirt? It fell. Can you hand me my scarf? We'll call it a scarf. His friend gave it to him to mail. The scarf is considered tame. Why is a scarf considered tame? You have to see Rashi. Rashi says, Vafilu zetar. In other words, Rashi is explaining that this, isn't, this doesn't mean that it's tame. It's treated like tame. Right? In other words, we're not saying that it becomes tame. That's not the halacha. The halacha is that it's treated like tame. As Rashi explains, Rashi goes on to say, in other words, without, right? In other words, without knowing for sure what the status of your friend is, and without knowing for sure, and the Gemara will explain it soon enough, right? Um, the friend doesn't necessarily know how makbid you are with Tara. You don't know how makbid your friend is with Tara. And therefore, by definition, anything that's handled by somebody who you don't know what their status is, is going to be treated like tummy. Because that's how careful we had to be with our stuff. Okay? So that is the first case. Your stuff falls and you, and you retrieve it. You, send, you ask your friend to bring it to you, right? So here in Shul, right? My talus falls. I ask, right, Barry to pick it up for me and give it to me. I don't know where Barry's been. And he doesn't know that, where I've been. So neither of us are at this point treating this talus with the Kedusha by, by definition, when you take your eye off the ball of Kedusha, you have to treat it already like Tame. Um, the, you see the intent without any Hesachadas, without taking any concentration off, the kind of mindfulness, we'll call it. This is Andrew, the beginning of mindfulness. You have, if, if you don't have in mind that it's Kadosh, it's assumed Tahar. Okay? That is ruling number one. Second ruling, Amar Yonasan bin Amram. That's amazing. In other words, you have your, clo- your Shabbos clothes and your weekday clothes, right? By accident, right, you put on your Shabbos clothes. The Shabbos clothes become tummy because he didn't have this one in mind. That is amazing. In other words, because we're going to see, you have to have a very specific intent. You have to know exactly, when we talk about mindfulness, you have to have an actual cognitive intent to safeguard your clothing and when you have that intent it has to be laser focused on the clothing that you're trying to safeguard so in other words if you had in mind okay i am keeping my shabbos clothes uh or i'm keeping my right shabbos clothes or my weekday clothes you had in mind let's say my shabbos clothes i keep in the closet and they stay there until shabbos and they become tohar then you're walking around on a Tuesday in Mamila Mall, and you realize you accidentally put your Shabbos clothes on. That means that you didn't, right, that you took your eye off the ball and you did not um, think about your Shabbos clothes and safeguard them enough because really they should still be in your closet until Shabbos. And the fact that you're wearing them means that you had a Hesachadas 
and by and by halacha, once you've had a hasachadas, you have to treat them as if they're tummy. Again, incredible degree that the mindfulness that you have to have. Like I don't know, did you have to keep your closet under lock and key, right, to make sure? Then I'm not sure. But certainly, if there's any indication that something is out of place, right? In other words, you can't just leave the stuff laying around when you're careful about tumantara, right? Your Shabbos clothes are supposed to be hanging in the closet, and now they're out of place because you're wearing them on a Tuesday by accident. Um, yeah, but, That is correct. In other words, Barry is pointing out what Rashi pointed out, which is critical to understand. This is not, this is exactly as Rashi says, it has nothing to do with it actually becoming Tameh. It has to do with Tameh until proven Tahar. <laughs> really, if you don't, if you don't uh, have a continuous mindfulness about where this is, and, on, and, and it's only going to have the assumption that it's tahor if it's in its proper place. Once it's taken out of its proper place, then you don't know where it's been, and at that point, it, you have the assumption that it could have become tameh, even as we will soon see uh, in, a, in a second, this next case, we're gonna have now the third ruling where it's clear that it was tahor once you verify the facts, but because it's out of place, it's already assumed tameh, even though it's almost impossible for it to become tameh. Yeah, so as we see, that's what the next third case, listen to this third case brings out. Right, the fact that chaveros means their husbands were chavers, which means they were tamid chachamim, and they're careful. They, right, the difference between an amaretz and a chaver is that an amaretz, right, the regular amcha, this was too much. Right, Tuma and Tara was a little bit um, beyond, and you can see why, right? This takes a tremendous amount of mindfulness and organization and intent you have to be really, really from, right, to really keep things in line, right, in order to be tar. You have to almost be a yaki berry. Uh, however, in this case, these are two from ladies in the mikvah. Ah, oh, so they're walking out of the mikvah, and the beis merchats we'll call it, the bathhouse in this case, and they realize they're wearing the, 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 each one by accident took the other one's Shabbos robe. Uh oh. Or, you know, I don't want to confuse it with the first case. So they took each other's robe. So they go in front of Rabbi Kiva and said, listen, we're both super from, the firmest of the from, right? The two rabbitsons of the community. So they're keeping everything in Batara, right? And they come out, Vitimon. And sure enough, Rabbi Kiva said, no, both cloaks, both robes are Tame. I... The, the two, right, it's, it's Rebbitz and Hopper and Rebbitz and Heinemann, I don't know. Meaning, right, you have, you have the two Rebbitzins of the community. It's impossible that it became Tomei. You have to treat it like Tomei because they're not wearing their own, right, cloak, their own robe, and therefore you don't know where it's been. So now we're going to get a little bit, uh, we're going to get a little more detail. So Matkif Lareboshia. Well, what's different in this case so Barry wants to know, why is this different than the second case? In the second case, it's your own clothes, and you had your big day Shabbos and your big day Chol. So first of all, it, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be, um, you know, 100% different, other than the fact that the women, right, in that particular case, um, uh, the Meiri agrees with you, Barry, I'm seeing over here in the art scroll, uh, that the same, it's too... Two applications of the same halacha. 
Right? The reason for Rabbi Kiva's ruling was the same as that for the previous case. Because guarding an item and the presumption that it's a different item is not valid guarding. Right? They were guarding an item, but they thought that they were guarding their Shabbos clothes, but it turns out they're weekly clothes, or you thought it was your own clothes, turned out you had the other Rebbitsons clothes. So both, what's, what's similar in both cases is you have a firm person who's very, very careful with Tara, and they, lo and behold, the, the clothing is out of place, right? They thought it was somewhere, and it turns out it's somewhere else. It has to be assumed. Again, it has to be treated like Tumah, even though you could have, right, gone to the, I don't know what it would be if you could go to a surveillance camera, right, and, and, and check it. But in theory, right, if you trace it back, it's almost no way that this could have become Tumah. And yet, because of the fact that you did not have Right, because it was misalim in ayin, because it was hesachadas, you can't assume that you have to literally be mindful of the of the tower of the place, and it can't be. And this is what we're about to get to now. It can't just be a general. Oh, this whole area is tahar. You have to have very specific intent. That's what makes it so intense. Look at this. Says Ravoshia, how far does this go? Right, you have, let's say, uh, he, he's taking it to its right absurd extreme. You, let's say, remember, Tumantara applies to clothing, applies to obviously to food, as we see in right all the time, the cases having to do with food. So let's say you had a big basket, and the basket had all, all kinds of rolls, had barley rolls, wheat rolls, spelt rolls, all of this, right? And you kept the whole basket tar, right? You're watching the entire basket the whole time, and you know that all the rolls are tar. And you go and you reach for a wheat roll, you, you, you pick up a barley roll. What are you going to say? Hachinami nitmes. Hachinami de nitmes. You're going to say that <laughs> you reached into your closet and you wanted to take out your big day chol, you ended up taking out your big day Shabbos. So you're going to say, that's tummy. So the, according to that logic, you take it to the absurd extreme, you reach into a basket that you know is tar, you want to take out one kind of roll, you take out the whole wheat roll, that's tummy too. How far does this laser intent go? Says the Gemara, maybe you'll say, uh, uh, you have to have laser focused Kavana for a Torah. We do have a Bryce that says that if you guard a barrel on the Chazaka, that you think that you're guarding a barrel of wine, it turns out, that you discover that you were guarding a, an oil barrel. We say that so long as, right, so long as you were making sure that this barrel became tahor, then it doesn't really necessarily matter that you mistook the contents of the barrel, right? As long as you were keeping it tahor, then whether it turned out to be something that you thought it was or something else, right, it should still be considered tahor. So therefore, why are we saying that these big day Shabbos, when you take it out, are in fact, right, going to be tummy? Um, the, I, I, I can't resist. Ari Leibowitz, the great Dafyomi Master Shlita, quoted uh, something, I think, I think it's a story from Rav Shechter, it might be in Nefesh uh, that Rabbi Soloveitchik once spilled coffee on himself towards the end of his life, and he's muttering, oh, it's my fault, it's my fault, it's my fault. And Shamash at the time said, why are you beating yourself up over this? And he said, because I, it was like a regular Tuesday, and he took out his clothing, and they were big day Shabbos, but he was very old and frail, and he didn't have the kayak to put his big day Shabbos back, 
and to change it into his weekday clothes. And he felt that it was because of his, this, that this was a pagam in covered Shabbos. They should have kept his big day Shabbos for Shabbos. And so Hashem was reminding him that, of that by sort of causing him to spill the coffee in himself. You see the gedolim and right, the, the sensitivity to Kedusha that, that the gedolim, uh, the, the gedolim have and the covered for, for, for the Shabbos and for the, for the Kedusha. Anyway. I thought that was, um, that was inspiring. So anyways, so what's this, right? When you're not careful about the barrel, it's not a big deal. So why is it a big deal when you're not careful, let's say, about the clothing? Ultameich, let's say, wait a minute. Maybe according to your reason that, that the barrel doesn't matter and the intent with the barrel doesn't matter, Ema Seifa, Vasura Melechel, Amai. You have to read the, the Hemshech of the Brisa. If you keep reading to the end of the Brisa, you see that even though it's true that it's, not, that, it, that it's still considered Tahar, we say that it's forbidden the oil, right? The aforementioned oil, when you realize that it wasn't in fact wine, but it was oil, that's forbidden for consumption. It's what we call puzzle, right? It's not Tame in the sense that it's not gonna be Tame other things, but you can't eat it. So why would that be the case? Pro, right, presumably it's because you did not Right, yeah, realize what the contents of the barrel was. So maybe that is a problem. So No, that that case in the Bryce is a totally different case. It's not valid to us. It's where he who was guarding it specifically said, I've guarded the barrel, contents of the barrel through something that would make it tummy, but not from something that would make it puzzle. Well, right. This is amazing that you could split the difference. Rashi says, In other words, the, right, what Rashi is explaining is that if that is truly the case in the Brisa where that was your intent and your explicit intent, so then look at this. Uh, you actually declare that you're not watching it from being puzzled. So that's why it became puzzled. That's why you can't eat it. But you did have intent to not make a tummy. And therefore, the fact that you did not know that the contents were, in fact, oil didn't affect it. It actually worked, right? Your shmir worked even though you didn't know the contents of the barrel. That's what Rashi is pointing out. So the Gemara says, Wait a minute. Side point. Uh-oh. We just got nailed with a sidetrack. Why? Because it's a weird case. That's why. Who's, who, who could say that I'm guarding it from Tomei and not from Puzzle? I could see Barry's eyebrows raise up. And I know that Barry was planning to ask, wait a minute, can you do that? I mean, what's the difference between guarding it from, from Puzzle and guarding it from Tuma? It's the same guarding. Either way, you're making sure nothing gets near the barrel. I mean, in other words, <laughs> the way something becomes Tame and the way something becomes Puzzle is the same. It has to become, right, in contact with something that's Tame. So what is the difference? How can you guard it from Tuma and not Puzzle? So Barry, I'll tell you outside first that that it has to do with kavana, right? Obviously, it has to do with intent. Again, mindfulness, we'll call it, right? That if you had in mind to guard it from one and not the other, then literally it'll only work for that which you had in mind to guard it from, right? This is kavana talking right now. This is not physically guarding it from one type of sheretz and not another, right? It's literally, you're guarding it entirely, but you only have kavana to guard it for one thing, as we will see. That's called nitirusa lapalga, that your intent, you could actually split the atom and have intent, even though you're guarding in general, you can have intent to guard from one thing and not the other, and it'll only work for the thing that you're guarding it from. Says the Gemara, in, that is a thing, but wait a minute, maybe it's not a thing, because we have a bright set as follows, right? So Andrew um, was recently came back from an Israel trip, 
and we know that he likes to be very authentic, so he's carrying a basket of begala and figs on top of his head, walking around Mamila, Valsalak Sefer, the basket's on his shoulder. Right? You can't handle figs with your bare hands. Your hands will get so sticky, eventually they'll stick to each other and you won't be able to use them anymore. So you used to, they used to have a shovel that, to handle the figs. In this case, it's figs, Andrew. Okay? But your mind is to what? To keep the figs from becoming tame, but you're not really focusing on the magrefa. Says the Braisa, the halacha is, Hasal Tarva Magrefa Tamea. Amazing, right? The basket and the contents and the figs, they're all tar, but guess what? The shovel is considered tame. Wow. We see that this, in fact, because you didn't have it in mind, right? It's in the basket, literally, with the figs, and yet, it's tame. Wait a minute. Oh my goodness, says the Gemara. Hasal Tar? How does that work? To tame a magrefa lasal. If you're not watching the magrefa, and we say they could split your das and say that the, the, the shovel is tummy. Well, a tummy shovel in your basket of figs is, is a Trojan horse, right? It's going to invade and be matame all your figs. So how do you keep your figs, right? Tahar, says the Gemara, ain't kli matame kli. Okay, we know that a kli can only become tummy from an avatuma. So since it's uncommon for a kli to be an avatuma, the shovel actually cannot be matame the basket. So there is such a thing where the shovel can be tame and the figs are tar. I have a litme masha basal, but wait a minute. That's what I said. To tame my grateful basal. It should contaminate the basket. I'm sorry. The first havamina in the Gemara was that it should make the whole basket, which is a kli, tame. Now we're saying what I said before, that it should be matame, not the basket, but the figs. Okay, there we go. You got it straight, Barry? The first case was it should be matame the sal, and then that's the first question. I said no, because that would be a case of kli matame kli, which we know doesn't happen. But kli can be matame ochlin. That's the issue. So how is that going to be avoided? I'm guarding the shovel from something that would make it tame. Velo midavar apostle, but I did not guard the shovel from something that would make it apostle. In other words, he was aware of the shovel and he worded it in such a way that the shovel could not be tame. Remember, the shovel can only be matame something else if it's tame. If the shovel is puzzle, it puzzle by definition means that it's not matame something else. It's the end of the line. So he had the shovel in mind, don't worry. But we're splitting the atom here. Now we're splitting it into fourths, right? We're splitting it into quarters where he's literally saying, the, the, <coughs> making a distinction between the figs and the shovel, and now within the shovel, he's making a distinction between tame and puzzle. Okay, so that's incredible. Anyway, Mikal Malcolm Kasha, we still have a Kasha here, right? Because don't forget, we said that in the case of the the barrel, right, that the barrel of oil is that the wine it's considered tahar, right? So once we say that palga, so we see that we don't need to have such a focused shmira. So says the Gemara, "Oh, most of Rabbi Barvura, Rabbi Barvura, add on to this challenge." Because we had a Maisa with a woman. Shabbat lifnei Rabbi Shmuel, v'amalav Rabbi. Right, there's a case where the woman said to, 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 to Rebbe that she, what? She wanted to guard the um, Beged in a state of purity, right? Um, but she didn't have in mind to watch it. What is, what's going on here? So we'll see. Rebbe is going to interrogate this woman. What exactly happened? So a woman is weaving a cloth. Now, a cloth, you might be, recall, from Maseches Shabbos, 
um, and 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 before that, three by three etzbos, right? That's where it has the status of uh, beged, where it is the minimum shear where it can be mekabel tumah, right? It has to be an actual kli in order to be considered mekabel tumah, and uh, beged has to have a minimum shear, and it's three by three etzbos. So she's weaving, 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 right? The whole time she is right in a state of tara. Everything is kosher lemosher, but she's admitting to Rabbi Shmuel that while she was weaving it, she had no specific intention to guard it. And so at the time that it got big enough to have the shear, she was just, of course, the whole time tar, but not really having a mindful intent of keeping it so. So with that beged, right, at the time that it became a beged, would that still be considered tar? Or because if she took her eye off the ball, we're going to consider, we're going to revert it to be considered tame. So says the Gemara, when we talk with Ika Shai Rebbe Shmuel Bodka, check this out. So Yishmael interrogates her and asks her, where were you? Who did you speak to? Do you remember if you had any conversation with somebody at that time? Right? He's doing the interview. You have to listen to Andrew Kosher Money to understand um, how an interview is conducted. So he's asking questions, trying to get information. So Amr Lo, Rebbe, you know, now that you mention it, yeah, I was with my friend who was in a state of Nida at the time, and she was helping me, right, with, with, the, with the loom and with the weaving. Ah, uh, see? I'm Rabbi Shmuel. Kama gadolim divachachamim shayu oimrim belibo l'shomro tar, ain belibo l'shomro tameh. See? How great the rabbis are who understood that belibo shomro tar, that if you're mindful and you guard something, it's tar, and if you take your eye off the ball, and you don't have the complete kavana and mindfulness all the time, then you're going to slip. This is a Garanowitz Muslim moment, if ever there was one, right? That if you don't, right, um, if you don't uh, vigilantly safeguard your, taha, your, your state of purity, then one can easily slip into a state of tumma. It's another similar case, five lines up from the wide. Shuv Maisabi, Shachas Shabbat, Lifnei Rabbi Shmael. I was waving this cloth in, in a state of tahara, and, but I wasn't mindful about guarding it. So, is it possible that it's still tahara? After all, I was tahara when I did this. When we talk so sure enough, he conducts the Andrew Singer interview, and they're talking, and he's trying to get as much information in a relaxed, right, um, friendly fashion. And she said to him, Rebbe, Nima Nifsukali, now that you mentioned it, I was using a thread and it snapped during the course of weaving, Ukshartia Bepe, and then I tied it up with my mouth. Sure enough, uh, he said the same thing, that it was so wise of the Chachamim to say, right, that the default is going to be Tameh if you're not mindful of the Tar. What, what, what happened here? Because the fact of the matter is, right, that before she, before what she's saying is, Rashi's explaining this. This is a little bit, Rashi's saying his own pshat, what this Gemara might be talking about. Then he says a pshat from Rabosai Mefarshin. What Rashi's pshat was, should be good enough for us, I would think, is that, yeah, she had been a Nida earlier on when she was preparing the, the thread. And 
at that point she was Anida, and she used her mouth, right, her saliva, in order to prepare the thread. And then later on, she was tovel in the mikvah, she was tar and everything like that. But while she was weaving, it might have still been moist from before, and the saliva of Anida is in fact enough to be metame. And sure enough, you see that because of the lack of mindfulness, the beggar's stomach. Now why, is, is, why the rebosai may have said differently, maybe because... Um, <laughs> How far do you extend the mindfulness now, right? Because had this, had this woman been mindful from the time she started weaving, then it still would have been tummy, right? Because of the previous saliva. So it's a little bit difficult. You know, it's like it just never ends, Barry. You have to be mindful from like, from when you're a zygote all the way to the end. But, uh, but you get the idea. Okay. So now we said like this. So now we're going to try to figure out how this question applies to the last two halachas the Barry was asking. Right, the case of Rebbe Elizabeth Tzadok was when the garments were exchanged in the bathhouse, right? Rebbe Kiva said they were tummy. So there we say, So I can understand, right, once we've established that Hesach Adas makes a tummy, so there, right, I can understand, right, at the time that you switch robes, you don't know exactly you know, what goes on behind closed doors. And so you just know what you're doing, what you're up to. You don't know what the other person's up to. So when you switch clothes with someone, you have to assume that it's tummy and treat it as such. That would make sense. And certainly the case of Yosem and Amri came in the kingdom of the Shabbos, Abelushim Ritvei, now. Right, in that case, he was watching his Shabbos clothes, Shabbos suit in a specific, right, that he keeps in the closet in a specific place where he, he's guarding it much more. But once it, he, he sees that he's wearing a big dechol, so the big dechol, he mixes up more, and therefore he had the hesachadas, and it makes sense of a tummy. But what about the first case? Yonason ben Elazar, right, where he dropped his shawl, and then somebody else picked it up for him. So, Navalu shumibi de dechavre. So, the point is, you drop your shawl in shul, right? I'm in Shari Zion, I drop it. Barry's picking it up. Well, guess what? It was never mis'ale mina'ayin. In other words, if you switch clothes with somebody in the mikvah or you, or you wearing clothes that you didn't realize, obviously there was a moment of lapse of, of mindfulness. But if I drop it right in front of my face and, then, and it's right here and then Andrew picks it up, we all saw nothing happened to this cloth. Why would that be considered tameh? Right? There's a chazaka that Andrew's not going to guard that which is in, in my hands. I'm not going to guard for him. We only guard for ourselves. Velo? Is that true as we turn to Ahmed Beis? We know a case, let's say I have donkey drivers and workers carrying my tar items from place to place, I'm, right? I'm a foreman and I have all these workers and they're carrying all my stuff, barrels of wine. I have to keep it in a state of tara. We say that the is, I can distance myself more than a mile from these donkeys and there is no assumption that it became tummy. Well, why would it, that remain tar? If I'm right next to you, Andrew, and it becomes tummy, why can I send off my workers a mile away and, and keep it tar? Says the Gemara, There is a distinction. If I just say, hey, you guys go on ahead with the barrels of wine, I'll catch up. In that case, sure enough, the barrels will be presumed tummy. But why, in the first case, is it presumed tar? Says the Gemara, Right? Why would it be, cons- if just having it outside of your possession a little bit is considered Tameh, why in the Resha is it considered Tar, even though it's a mile away? To which the Gemara answers, Well, guess what? I am a very strict boss. I'm making 
all the drivers, and I'm making everybody go to the mikvah, right? I have very strict, right, um, job, right, job prerequisites. If you don't go to the mikvah, if you don't follow a protocol, you're going to get fired. That is your job description, to stay tar. So that is a very different thing. That's like institutionalized tara. That's why that first case would be tar. Says the Gemara, So then why is it, if I'm so pedantic about it, and I'm such a harsh boss, why is it that in the Seifa, that when I say I'll catch up with you, that we can't trust it, and we said it might be Tame? So the Gemara answers, Yeah, because I can't know, right, that an Anamaritz is, is not going to be so Makbid, and I can't know that my donkey guys are actually going to take it seriously unless I'm on the premises. In other words, if the boss is in town, and if he's on the premises, and you know that all the workers are in watchful eye, and it's a very strict operation, so then you can assume that they're doing it out of fear. But if they know that the boss isn't around, then you never know what they're going to do, right? It's like not having, it's like not having a mashkiach around. Like you don't know what the workers do. They don't care about Hilkos Kashras. So there's a Gemara, Yachi Reishanami. So then if I'm a mile away, you don't know what they're up to either, right? In other words, we don't trust these donkey guys. So why are we trusting them in the Reisha? Says the Gemara, Devalahem Derech HaKalasan. Undercover boss, Barry. This is the kind of boss that sometimes shows up in plain clothes and acts like one of the donkey riders, and they know this, right? So when he's close enough, unless he says, right, I'm going to catch up to you, so then you know he's not around. But this is the kind of guy that's keeping a watchful eye. You can never be too comfortable as one of his workers. You know that he's watching, okay? So the, the Gemara is going to say, Yachi Seifanami, right? If there's undercover boss, so then even if he's going to say, I'm going to catch up to you, then maybe he's not, maybe he's tricky. No, that doesn't happen. They know that this particular boss, if he says, I'm going to catch up to you, we know where he's going already, right? They already have gotten, grown accustomed to when he says that, he's going, right, he, he's going to Cocachinos and he's sitting outside of Cocachinos with his laptop, you know, um, and that's where he always is. And so that's when they relax and that's why you can't trust them and that's why in the Seifa it's going to be considered tummy. So Hadron Alach ain't Dorshin. Right, Moshe Shapiro Zatzal learned it for like five years, but I don't think he got to this part uh, when he taught it in his Friday year. He was doing most, mostly the Maisen Markava um, stuff. But we were Zoche to finish Ain Dorshin. Maybe Zoche to go back to it again and again and understand it in all its breadth and depth. And now we start... Um, the third parak, resuming right our topics, as we said, this is really all the way to the end of Chagiga topics of Tuma and Tara. We're going to talk now about eleven chumras between Hekdesh and Truma, having discussed right already this concept of the levels Hekdesh, Truma, Chulin. We're going to talk about eleven different ways in which Hekdesh is treated more chamer than Truma. So we could start the Mishnah and then. Um, and then we'll resume it tomorrow because that's already like a standalone thing. Uh, Andrew, if you want to sleep tonight, look at the size of Chaf Aleph Amid Aleph and Chaf Aleph Amid Beis, and you'll see that this was very deliberate. Lonis Aliman Ayin, Andrew. I had very specific intent uh, into just finishing the parak, but we'll just start. So the first thing is that you're allowed to, when you dunk for a mikvah, right, when you're dunking, uh, Kalim, in order to make them tar. So when, if you're dunking them for the purposes of truma, you can have Kalim inside Kalim. You ever go to the Kalim mikvah where you have like a pot and you have the silverware inside? Yeah, for truma you could do that, Andrew, but not for Kodesh. For Kodesh you have to do each one individually. Avalo le Kodesh. 
So then we're going to get into the details of this Mishnah and the 11 ways in which Kodesh is more stringent than Truma Bezrat Hashem tomorrow.